be reading Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Quality. A little bit of a height difference. Um, just because we're sharing anecdotes in my time on the Kids Chill team, um, I have learnt that I am much faster than all of them because I have long legs. And so when I play tip outside, it's a great boost for the self-esteem. Um, and when they, when they walk into church, uh, instead of going, oh, that's Ethan, he's, he's really cool, they fear me. Um, <laughs> um, hi, everybody, my name's Ethan, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here at Soul Revival. Uh, and it is my honor to unpack this passage that was so beautifully read uh, by Vinny. Um, it is a prayer for the people in Ephesus. It is a prayer uh, for the church in Ephesus, for the saints, for God's holy people. Uh, and before I, before I get into it, I just want to make note of something real quick. Um, prayer isn't an easy thing. Uh, I looked up on Kurong this week uh, how to pray, and you, there is 612, page, 612 books uh, that you can get on how to pray. I scrolled through what seems to be an endless list on the YouVersion Bible app of how to pray devotionals uh, that are how to pray for people when you're at school or how to pray for people when you're a woman and how to pray for people when you're a man. And it, there was all these different ones um, that all pretty much hit the same mark. I'd actually recommend uh, if at any point you get bored during my sermon and get your phone out, I'm going to assume you're scrolling through those. Um, uh, but feel free, give it a search and give it a scroll. There's heaps. Um, I've had heaps of conversations uh, as a youth leader over the years uh, and as a member of a Bible study over the years um, about how often we pray. And so often, the answer is not enough. And that's because it's not easy. And if that's not enough evidence, uh, I have been listening to a Welsh guy called Martin Lloyd-Jones this week in preparation for this sermon, who, as an aside, has my favourite preaching voices ever. Talk to me after. I'll play you a clip. It's glorious. Um, and he says this. Uh, it should be on the screen. Uh, ask anyone 
who's had to get up and do a sermon, and they'll say, preaching is child's play compared to prayer. Preaching is simply speaking to man. Prayer is speaking to God. He goes on at another time to make the claim that prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. So before I look at this prayer in the book of Ephesians, I'm going to do the highest activity of the human soul, and I'm going to pray to our glorious God. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of prayer, that we can talk to you whenever we need. And right now we need your spirit to lead me as I preach tonight. May you work on the hearts and minds of everyone here, and may everyone who walked through these doors tonight have ears to hear, listen, and understand what you are saying through your Apostle Paul tonight. Amen. Make this a little bit taller. There we go. Maybe that's too tall. I want to dive uh, straight into the content of Paul's prayer uh, tonight. But before I do, uh, I want to take a moment to look at who he's praying to. Uh, Because I don't know if you noticed, but there's a really interesting little turn of phrase Uh, in verse 17. So I'll glance at that real quick. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the glorious Father, so on and so on. Um, The glorious Father bit is really helpful going forward because that's what I've I've called this sermon. If you're a note taker um, and you wanted a pretty heading uh, to put at the top, um, you could write a prayer that we may know a glorious God. All right, that's that's what I've titled it. But the turn of phrase I mentioned is uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does Paul write this? It's a weird uh, way of talking about God. Um, Well, in the Old Testament, when people prayed, uh, when people referred to God, they were always referring to him as uh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. If you, on the screen at some point, um, I think you might have a flick. Yeah, there we go. Um, Is Exodus uh, 13, uh, 3 verse 15 to 16, um, where he refers to himself by this name, and then he instructs, the, instructs Moses to tell the Israelites to do the same. This does two things, this, this way of referring to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It does two things. Firstly, it makes God for the Israelites more personal. He is someone an ancient Jewish person can come to in fear and want and praise and know that this God, the God they have seen do wild things, forces of nature changed, uh, the, the, the world flipped on its head, the, um, the miracle, uh, sorry, not miracles, yeah, miracles, um, that have won battles against all odds. This God it is so much easier to come to him when you remember that this God is the God of their fathers and their fathers' fathers. This this God was a personal God. And this God, our God, has made covenant promises to the Israelites so that they would know uh, that they were looked after. So he's personal and he's made promises. Paul Later on in in this, what we just heard read, he says uh, that he is asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ because God is someone who we can know because he is the God of Jesus. He's not praying to an unknown God. He is not uh, thanking whatever God may be. He's going to the presence 
of the God who has made himself, made himself known and revealed himself, uh, and who has enabled us to know him in a particular way. Again, just like for the people in the Old Testament, uh, it reminds those people uh, that they are praying to a covenant God, a God who has made promises to those, those three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham made promises to them of many descendants, sorry, land, descendants, and blessing. He promised all three of those, to all three of those guys. And so whenever the Israelites prayed, they prayed, and they called, they, whenever they called God the God of, uh, of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they prayed remembering those promises. And when Paul prays, he doesn't pray to those three because he knows there has been a new promise. He prays to the God of Jesus Christ because this is how, because God has made a new covenant through Jesus, a promise of grace and redemption. And so when Paul prays, he prays to a God who he knows and to a God uh, sorry, a God who we know because of Jesus who has revealed himself to us and revealed God to us, and he's praying to the God who keeps his promises. So when we pray, we can look at this really great example and know those two things. If nothing else from this sermon tonight, those two things are fantastic truths. Now, I do want to make clear uh, that Jesus is still God even though this is, that's why it seems like a little bit of a weird turn of phrase. But Jesus is still God. What's going on here is that when he came to earth, he was human, 100% man, 100% God. And therefore, God became his God. And so when we, say, when we see Jesus praying, he is praying to this same God. When he uh, is off uh, and his disciples, uh, he's talking to his disciples about prayer in Matthew 6, he says, guys, this is how you should pray. And he prays the Lord's Prayer. And that is excellent because Jesus also prayed to God and so we too can pray to God the Father, a God who we know and a God who keeps his promises. So when we struggle with prayer, we can remember that we are talking to our God, and it is an amazing thing. And it's not quite a book, and it's not quite an, a, a, a long Bible plan, but hopefully that's helpful tonight. So back to Paul's prayer. He starts uh, by thanking God uh, for the faith and love of the Ephesians, faith and love, uh, that they... Uh, and this could be a whole sermon in itself. Uh, and yes, I have listened to a whole sermon on these two words in this, this week. It was wild. Um, faith and love that they can only have gotten from God. For this sermon, though, I want to ask a question of you guys. You don't have to respond, but respond in your heads um, and maybe in your hearts. Because when you pray for other Christians, which is what this prayer is, when you pray for other Christians, what do you pray for? Note that Paul doesn't pray for good health. He doesn't pray for success. He doesn't pray for comfort. He thanks God that they're Christians. 
How often do we do that? How often do we go, oh, Lord, thank you so much that Brado's a Christian. Lord, thank you so much that Beth is a Christian. Like, it is such a cool thing to do. Thank you, Lord, for the faith and love that we see here at Soul Revival every week. I would encourage you, going forward, when we pray for one another, yes, pray for our needs, pray for health, pray for comfort, but pray, thank God that the person we're praying for is a Christian, if that is the case. And if they're not, well, that's what you should be praying for, right? That they may know God. All right. Uh, What does Paul pray for then? Speaking of needs, of comfort and things like that, uh, a survey was done uh, of all of Paul's prayers in the Bible. Um, And he wrote a lot of them. And this survey was done, looking at them out, and they found that when Paul wants to go real deep, and I'm quoting now, uh, when he wants to go for the jugular spiritually, he prays for what the people need. And here we see in what the Ephesians need is to know a glorious God. Took me a little while to get there, but finally we're looking at the contents of this prayer. We're about to get to the juicy bit. Um, But actually, we're not there yet, because this prayer can only be properly understood by what came before it. And yes, that is that God is the glorious God of Jesus. But even earlier than that, um, what Stu touched on last week, uh, and that is earlier in Ephesians 1, uh, is uh, if we look at Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 3 to 14, if you get your Bibles open, um, this bit is really cool. Uh, I'm just going to skim over it, um, but stuff should come up on the slide, uh, on the slides. Um, first we see his grace, the undeserved gift of Jesus. This is a spiritual blessing. Chapter one, all of these are his grace, undeserved gift of Jesus in verse five, it says it's glorious. There we go. Glorious grace. Next slide, verse 11 and 12. We are predestined. We are chosen so that our hope may be for the praise of his glory. In verse 13 and 14, we have the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our salvation to the praise of his glory. It's an interesting pattern there, isn't it? And then he opens this prayer to our glorious Heavenly Father. And so now, Paul's prayer, as he continues that after that opening, is that we may know the glory of God. That's what he prays from verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, may, so that you may know him better. Why would that be a need of the Ephesians? And this is a, I could, I could actually replace this with why would this be a need of people at Soul Revival Church, whether you're online or here with us? Because interestingly, the Ephesians were really solid. There's no complaints in this letter. Paul isn't writing to them to, to correct them. He does direct them. He says, this is, this is how we should live. But he just started by saying, thank God for your faith and love. You guys are doing a really good job. They're Christians. 
So why does he start, why does he say that they need to know God? Well, we can rightly assume that because they are already Christians, because they're doing a pretty good job, we can rightly assume that the prayer is for continued growth in the knowledge of God. This prayer tells us that we can always know him better. And isn't that relevant for us in Sydney? On one side, we can find ourselves sitting in a sermon, figuring out where the preacher's going long before they, long before they get there, and sitting going, oh, hurry up, Ethan. I just want to go have dinner. And fighting the temptation to think we know uh, all there is to know already. And on the other side, our society is described as godless. Sydney needs the knowledge of the glorious God. Ride needs the knowledge of the glorious God. God, the Sutherland Shire needs the knowledge of our glorious God. Tokyo needs the knowledge of our glorious God. Soul Revival needs the knowledge of our glorious God. Whether, whether we are living in a godless society or we're in a thriving church, we still need to know God better. Know God at all? Or know God better? And how do we know the glory of God? Finally, I got there. Uh, I put glorious into Google Images. And I was going to put the first one up on the screen uh, to try and get a good definition. And I found that when you search glorious in Google Images, you get mouse, mice, um, because apparently that's a brand. Um, So I had to be more specific in my Google Image search. um, And I just thought we'd look at these and just ooh and ah for a moment. This is glorious nature. Ooh. Ah. Uh, this is the next one is uh, a glorious sunrise, oh. um, and then a glorious morning, oh. lovely. Um, and tonight at late night we'll be looking at the gloriousness of space. Um, yet none of these beautiful images that we actually probably have better better images of in our heads um, because we may have woken up and seen a beautiful sunrise, um, or if you're more like me. Uh, you've gloried at a sunset because that's too early in the morning to wake up. Because, like, it, and, and, and it's true, like, the, uh, David in Psalm 19.1 says uh, that the heavens declare the glory of God, because they do. This is glorious, but it does not compare to the glory of God. Paul doesn't pray for the Ephesians to look up from their scrolls and look at the sky. Or go out into nature. This isn't a prayer to get off your phone and look up. Instead, he prays this in Ephesians 1, 18 to 19. I think it may come up on the slide. I'm not sure what I put in at this point. Um, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Firstly, the hope. As a church, uh, Joel said earlier, uh, we're going through Ephesians, we're going through um, that version Bible plan. Uh, I'll say what the title was again. It was, I think it was in the newsletter a couple of weeks ago. Um, the plan's called Ephesians, His Glorious Riches. And the guy writing that, his name is Paul Mallard, and I thought I'd take a moment to uh, quote from one of those devotionals. 
because uh, they're really helpful. They're really cool. Uh, he's a preacher in the UK, and he says this, hope is sometimes um, a neglected virtue. Uh, there's, this is on the screen too, Eli. I think it's Eli. Yeah. Um, hope is sometimes a neglected virtue, probably because we think of it as wishful thinking. But in the Bible, it is shorthand for unconditional certainty. We can have unconditional certainty in what we hope in. But what do we hope in? Titus um, reveals this for us. It's another letter by Paul uh, in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we're hoping for. The appearing glory. We can put our unconditional certainty in the glory of our great God, the God who knows us and made us and loves us. We have hope in that Father who won't break his promises and he promises eternity for us. That's my next point. How is he going to give us eternity? Uh, knowledge Knowledge of God is knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance. We are rich with every spiritual blessing here on earth too, as it says earlier in chapter 1 that I, that I flicked through, those, those, those key verses um, were us being rich with every spiritual blessing. And we are rich because of his grace, our adoption, our hope, the Holy Spirit, and there is so much more. And all of those that I've listed are to his glory. We don't have to go anywhere else to be told uh, that being adopted into sonship, the inheritance that is heaven and eternal life, that is glorious. Let me read that again. Knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance. And how do we get that? Well, further on in the same, in verse 19 now, his incomparable great power for us who believe. What's his power? Let me read on. I'm going to keep going. From uh, This should come up on the screen from verse 19 to the end. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Joel was saying earlier that going into chapter 2, he continues to unpack what that power means for us. And that power is what Jesus did on the cross and what we get as a result, and where Jesus is now as the conqueror of death and sadness and mourning and crying and boredom, getting cross at people. Jesus beat all of that because he defeated sin when he died on the cross and rose again three days later. Jesus is where we see the power of God, and that is glorious. Romans 6.4 confirms that 
that being the thing, the glory that he's talking about here, as it says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus was raised through the glory of the Father. His beauty and his magnificence and his power, all that stuff that as we know God better, we see his glory in everything he does and everything we're given and everything we do. The beauty, majesty, holy, righteousness, wonder of the Father is revealed through Jesus and revealed to us. That's knowing God. Knowing those things in our hearts and responding to them and growing in our love for that truth. Growing in our desire to give God the glory in all that we do. My prayer tonight is we at Soul Revival Church can know the glorious hope that we have for glorious riches that we've inherited through God's glorious power. May we know our glorious God and then make him known to ride to Tokyo, to the Shire, to the world. There's this really interesting little dichotomy here between what I talked about um, at the start when I talked about the prayer being difficult at the very, very start. Um, There's this dichotomy we face because, yes, it's hard because we are turning to God. What was that quote? It It was preaching this child's play compared to praying because preaching is talking to man and prayer is talking to God. Because we are coming before the most glorious, incredible, terrifyingly awesome God that seems sometimes just out of reach. And so it's hard to devote time and devote ourselves to praying and talking to God. And when he is in reach, when we, when we really can um, get close sometimes... We can actually get overwhelmed by the fact that we are talking to the God of the universe in all his glory. Overwhelmed by the fact that it is the highest activity of the human soul. But here's the dichotomy. That makes it difficult, yes. But that makes it so much better too. Because this prayer... Uh, in Ephesians, that the Ephesians should know God. The prayer is that they will continue to talk to this glorious God and know his glory and know his hope and know, his, uh, know the riches we inherit and know the, um, the, the power he has. And when we know those things, we are just eager to come to him in prayer. There is much less stopping us falling at his feet and going, God, I just want to talk to you all the time. And when I was writing this sermon, 
I was really um, confronted by that. Because I don't always have that point of view. I wish I did. I don't always... I, I, um, in that same sermon uh, that I was listening to about the prayer thing um, by Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, he talked about... He, 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 I was trying to Jai, and Jai explained that this guy was notorious for making really big claims. And one of those big claims was, if you are doing anything else while you're praying, you're not praying. I was like, oh my gosh, that's how I pray. I pray when I'm in the shower or when I'm driving my car or like doing other stuff. And I was really shook by this guy saying that pray and stop everything else because you are talking to the God of the universe who is glorious. And what's really cool about this passage is that as we know that glory more and more and more, we become more and more and more eager to stop everything and pray to him. Stop everything and read his word. And that's my encouragement. My encouragement to you is whether it be through this sermon, whether it be through uh, the, your personal uh, prayer life or your personal reading life, may you get to know God more and let that snowball. Let the knowledge of the glory of God snowball into the rest of your life as your faith and love become something uh, that we can thank God for. I'm going to pray. I'm going to close with the highest activity of the human soul. Heavenly Father, sometimes we struggle to talk to you. But we thank you for this amazing example of prayer in your word. Thank you for Paul and his letter to the Ephesians. Thank you that we can learn that it is so important to pray for knowledge of God and that it's so important that we know you better. May we see your glory every day. May we share your glory every day. And may we pl praise your glorious name. Amen.